Welcome to the latest United We Stand podcast. My name's Andy Mitton and I'm delighted to join our special guest today, Ashley Westwood. No, not the Aston Villa player, but the former Manchester United Northampton crew. He's going to tell me about three other different clubs now and he's worked in management at Portsmouth, Blackpool, Blackburn Rovers and he's currently the head coach at Bengaluru, which I've probably pronounced wrong. That's the main team of Bangalore in India. In fact, we're sat in India now. There's monkeys in the trees. It's a beautiful day and Bengaluru are flying in the league. It's Ashley's first season as a, as a manager by himself. He'd worked as an assistant with Michael Appleton, who he met at United. And Bengaluru are top of the league, doing really well. All they, at the start of the season, the expectation was to stay up. And I've seen Ash working closer and over the last four or five days. I see a very, very determined and talented young coach, 37 years old, who gets up at six o'clock in the morning who grafts his backside off, I see players who respect him, and I see a winning football team. And it's brilliant because English coaches don't always travel well, like English footballers, and some of them do, they go for a payday, and he's doing, doing very well. And he's a, a club which is very ambitious. The game I went to the other day had 8,500 people, it was a sellout crowd. They had an Ashley Westwood's Blue Army flag there, they were singing his name. And it's great because he's a Manchester lad, well, Astley, just outside Manchester, close to Lee. Welcome, Ash. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. Pleasure to be here. Um, you grew up in Astley, close to Lee. Yep, just uh, probably three miles away from Lee. Um, you know, uh, Lee being a, a big rugby town, uh, Astley didn't really have much of an identity, but you know, a lot of football fans. Um, so it was uh, just did my schooling there, uh, primary school and then into high school. Um, did my qualifications, then and went on to to join Manchester United. Were you red or blue, or were you like a, a payhead? Did you go and watch um, Wigan or Lee? No, I was. Um, I was actually. I played for Wigan Town Team Schoolboys. Uh, that was my school district. It was on the border of like Salford and Wigan, but just fell into the Wigan districts. But football-wise, I was. Uh, I was a blue. My uh, my parents didn't have a lot of money, and I think uh, growing up that was probably the cheapest option. Get your son in to watch the the cheapest football match. So me and my uh, brother we became Manchester City fans. And you used to go to games. Yeah, we went uh, we went quite a lot of games. I think on record or thinking back, me me my father tells me I was the very first ever junior blue member, uh, life member that was. I think uh, we might end this podcast now. It's uh, it's got to be told. The truth's got to be told. I uh, the game that only sticks out in my mind was maybe for the wrong reasons or maybe for the right ones. It was a a good footballing victory. Manchester City won five one, but I remember it because the, there was loads of fighting that broke out in the crowd at Main Road. David Oldfield, Paul Lake, kind of era. Mm. That's because United fans went to the North Stand and got turfed out. Yeah, um, I think the match actually got abandoned for, for 10 no. minutes. The no. crowd went in and then they come out and Man City carried on where they uh, left off and, and comfortably won the game. It was a, a great game for a City fan, but not for a United fan. So why didn't you join City as a kid? I don't think they wanted me, to be honest. I was desperate as a kid to join Man City. It's uh, it's the team I liked, the team I supported. What, you dreamed of like, playing in the second division for City? I just uh, dreamed of having a chance. Yeah. I, don't, I didn't think I could get one at Man United, so I thought if I go to Man City, I might have a chance of playing first team. Mm. So that's why I went down that route, but they never wanted me, and, and Manchester United did. And uh, I was there from the age of 10. I was playing for a local team in Lee called Lee Amateurs. We got invited down to the Cliff Training Ground, or could have been Littleton Road at the time, to play in a little trial game against the Manchester United trialist team. 
they see me in that game, they, they then invited me in for a trial. Um, took the trial and thankfully they, they signed me on the, then the, uh, the School of Excellence forms because that went up to the age of 14. And then thinking back, at 14 you then sign a, a two-year schoolboy forms, I call it. And then I was fortunate enough to get the, uh, the apprenticeship along with, uh, I think it was 15 or 16 others, to go into the full-time two years, you know, based at, at the cliff with your Beckhams and your Scholeses. Who was in your age group? My age group was probably nicknamed the the bomb squad, to be honest, because the year above us was the the class of '92, if you like, that everybody's well familiarised with these days. Your your Beckham's, your Skulls, your Neville's, your Butts. Um, and my year there was there was me, Michael Appleton, Terry Cook, uh, David Johnson, probably the four names that would stick out in my years, and Paul Mitten, and people like Paul. that. Your cousin Paul. Tell us about Paul. What was he like? Paul was a great player. Um, you know, a family history of football. You could tell he was, um, you know, had all the ability from a, a young age of getting in the back garden with his his granddad Charlie, who everybody will know if you know the, the legend Charlie Mitten. Uh, then his dad also, Charlie Mitten, helped him out in the garden. And his young Charlie played as well. He did. I think he was unfortunate with asthma. Yep. I think that was. He's the... at United Reserve. He went to Newcastle, and then his brother John um, played for Exeter City. John Mitten, and was a first-class cricketer for Leicestershire. So. Mm. And all my dad's side of the family, they, they all played semi-pro, so it was... So, did you ever... You, you became good mates with Paul? Yeah, we did. Um, and still but, are? Yeah, still to this day. Um, he was, you know, I was his best man. He was my best man, so... Good to keep, uh, you know, 15 year old. Well, knew him since the age of 10, really, playing at Manchester United, so always nice to, to go back and have some, some lifelong friends, and him and, and Michael was one of them. Um, did you ever meet Charlie? Yeah, I met Charlie a lot. Used to go to the Greyhounds with Paul. Bellevue Dogs. Uh, we actually owned a dog, to be honest. Um, bought that in Sheffield, uh, Owlerton Racetrack. Raced it at Sheffield for a while. How much? A thousand pounds. Who, from bought, who bought it? Me and Paul. We went halves on that. Um, fantastic. What was it called? Farlow Drip. There was three brothers from a great Farlow dog. Drip, drop and pop. It was. And we had we had Drip, and uh, it lived up to its name because we ended up getting uh, retired because it. It broke his leg. I think that might have been Paul's influence. He had a, a career littered by injuries and he passed it on to our greyhound, killed us. So you're young apprentices at United and you're on a greyhound? Yeah, we, we actually we actually got the greyhound when I was at Sheffield Wednesday, a little bit older. I was about 22 at the time, 23. Um, but like I say, we raced it at Sheffield and then I think the track, looking back at Sheffield, was a little bit long for it, 500 metres. So we took it to Bellevue, 460 or 465 and thought it was going to set the world alight. And... Uh, Ended up retiring him, finding him, moving him into my house. <laughs> <laughs> and did, you, did Charlie ever speak to you about football? Yeah, he um, you know spoke about his career at Manchester United. Uh, spoke about being the first player to go over to America. Told me a, a million times that he was the best penalty taker in the world, which he's, he's actually got a good record of, to be to be honest. Yeah. And it was just good to hear, you know, that old era. You know, you can listen to today's for people like that, the old stories, and you know, great respect for all the players and. You know, hearing how it was in their day. Really. So you, you, you're every day training at, at the cliff, a talented young group of players, not as talented as, as the year above, but I'd imagine those players were in the, the same dressing room. They would have been going into the, the reserves and first team. You, you were seeing your Giggses and your Beckhams on a daily basis. Yeah, we had, uh, to be honest, we had great competition them days. It was always first years v second years in training, and you know they were the golden era, and the amount of 11 asides we'll have in training it. There was fierce, to be honest. You know, real competitiveness, kicking lumps out of each other because 
they as a team were so much better than us. Um, you know, we had good individuals that was as good as them, but collectively nowhere near. So we'd try our best to try and beat them, and we we actually drove them to to have competitive games week in week out, which I'm sure helped them in the long run because if you're playing. Uh, and it was 100 mile an hour because we were so desperate to beat them and prove that we was as good as them would give them good competition to improve at the rate that they did were you mates with any of them lads? Did you get yeah I mean we, 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 said it, we shared the same dressing room for two years um, you know Nicky Boats, Skulls uh, everything was close there the local lads seemed to stick together the lads that we called from the outside we were in digs so there was always a little bit of local lads over there digs lads over the other side um, but we all got on well there the fun and games, the camaraderie that went on, you know, especially your first two weeks of each pre-season, was uh, a real team team bonding exercise that worked really well over the years. What sort of fun and games? Because I've spoke to some of them lads you've mentioned, and some of the pranks they told me that go that went on. It was scandalous. It was incredible. Um, I mean, it was. It got to the stage where it was, you know, you couldn't get away with it these days. It was, it was borderline bullying, to be honest. Um, you know the. The things that make you do the fun and games, it could be anything from switching the lights on and pretending that you're a werewolf and you've got to change into a werewolf instantly and rip your clothes off and start screaming, um, to standing up on, on beds and singing songs, to pulling the mop which was in the corner, she's a bird in a nightclub and you've got to dance over, show your best moves, chat the mop up, buy her a drink. I recall Ryan Giggs being the voice of the mop, just trying to mock you, asking you for your ID and trying to make you feel like an idiot. So Giggs will be pretending to be a, mop, a girl Giggs was the was the, the mop's voice and it you know you can you're dancing over and it's I love and he'd be like what's your name <laughs> Ashley it's Sandra do you want a drink love yeah Malibu and Coke these kind of things and if you perform terribly the lads would start booing and heckling the next thing there's a there's a mop court case to determine your punishment and that could be anything from locking you in the kit bag and sending you over to the cliff uh, sorry over to Old Trafford to be washed like the well, you put you in a kit bag you'd get zip it up yep and you'd be put into a van you'd be loaded onto the minibus and sent over to the Old Trafford to be washed like like the training kit would be you couldn't get out you couldn't get out it was locked and next How thing you know you well it's just uh, through this through the air holes of the zip I suppose and then the next thing you know, some old lady at the at the old Trafford grounds opening you up and thinking, what is this doing in here? There's uh, a lot of young football. Yeah, incredible stuff. Um, at the time, they had the black kit. Uh, you'd get covered in head to toe with black dubbing. And someone would shout, it's Eric Young, and next thing you've got a black headband on. Um, put in freezing cold ice baths, locked in saunas, with, with stuff thrown on the, the hot coals. What stuff? I recall one, one time a, a cup of urine for the for the correct terminology being thrown on the thing so it's it's almost gassing you in the sauna just just crazy stuff one lad i remember getting forced in the tumble dryer for 30 seconds and then let out it was stuff that went too far which is in the end while it and it got stopped probably about three years later because yeah. it just escalated it yeah. was the second years would dish it out to the first years you'd get it that bad next year you'd make sure you give it back twice as bad until about three or four years down the line where it ended up getting quite serious and then obviously when the, the PFA got stronger with with bullying and whatnot then it ended up having to get stopped because you, you Did know you ride line saying you couldn't be put into a tumble dryer <laughs> yeah I think you know getting hit on the head with a rock hard football like Skulls a sledgehammer that. That, you used to lie you down on the treatment table yeah with your head over the end yeah 
And then what? Basically, there's the treatment table is probably about six foot long. It'd, it'd lie you on one end, the bend you over so your face is, is facing the, the hole between the legs. Skulls would stand at the other end. You bounce the ball and you volley it through and try and hit you in the kite. Um, Skulls was the one who could do it because he could do it every single time. It would take somebody four or five attempts to try and get it through. Most times people would hit the leg and it wouldn't hit you in the face, but Skulls was a magician at it and those kind of things. I mean, all good for team building, all good for bonding, but um, probably what, what made some of them characters, to be honest. Gives them the, uh, the strong mentality that's stood them in great stead to be top footballers. So the class of 92 won the FA Youth Cup. You were the class of 93. I was 93. Um, we got knocked out in the first round away at Bradford. Uh, thought we were we're on the way down. Everyone's talking about how much money we can get on to win the FA Youth Cup with the best team in Manchester United. Really? Three hours later, we've got our chins on the floor and we've been smashed 2-0. I think I remember Graham Tomlinson yeah. scoring for Bradford, who yeah. actually later went on yeah. to sign for Man United. He, he signed for 100 grand, him. That's right. Yeah. The, uh, the summer sizzler. Was yeah. The, yeah, ended up being his nickname, the sizzler. Why? Because he signed in this article and it was all the sizzler. I think it was maybe Match Magazine in yeah. those days. Yeah. So that was his nickname at Man United. Big things was expected of him. nothing came of it? I think, um, thinking back, he was he was quite a, a nervous lad. Right. Um, so maybe the occasion and the price tag and the summer sizzler stuff got to him and he couldn't relax. And it and, came winter. And then winter the sizzle. next thing, it's uh, it's all over for him. Um, Where did he go? Did you ever find out? I think he went maybe Exeter, something yeah. like that, I recall, down south. I think he went over that way. Um, but never went on to do much. I think he had a bad injury as well. I think he broke his leg, which, which harmed him and hindered him. Um, so fortunately for me though I had an August birthday mm -hmm. when the Youth Cup qualification dates the 1st of August which enabled me to play then in the 94 Youth Cup yeah. me, Dave Johnson and Terry Cook the same yeah. and we went on to win that at Old Trafford against yeah. Tottenham yeah. Uh, we, I think we might have won it on penalties I think Terry I Cook I went to that I went to White Hart Lane yeah I played on that Phil Neville played Phil Neville um, Paul Eckingbottom maybe yeah. um, me, Terry Cook uh, Dave Johnson um, I travelled out of London for that. Yeah, we had an away game. Quid a ticket it was. I remember the away game well because um, I was the the one who would stick his foot in centre half. Yeah. And I remember one of our lads getting absolutely smashed by um, one of their players. And then I remember Eric running onto the pitch and shouting onto me, "Do him, Westy, do him, get him back." And that was my job as a and you as did a, as a Mancunian centre half. I was I was very good at them in my day. The uh, the skin the top of the ball one and take that one back so you're an FA Cup winner FA Youth Cup winner yeah where's um, your medal it's at home with my uh, my my family really um, keep it prize possession the first first thing he ever won and because there was such a big crowd on at Old Trafford yeah. um, it stuck in my memory um, so the medal was, was cherished because that's your first taste of of proper football really with the, with the big crowd the expectation level all your family's in the crowd um, what was Phil Neville like? Phil was play anywhere which is probably his, his biggest compliment you know for a player that can play anywhere anywhere across the back four anywhere across the midfield shows that he's got you know great ability and great composure great awareness to, to be able to slot into any position and be reliable you know thinking back to to players you would compare him to people like your Dennis Irwins people like that you know 7 out of 10 every week nice lad good lad uh, nice family obviously everyone knows about that doesn't need too much for me to say but really down to earth really grounded and and a football through and through is in his, in his blood you know if he's not 
if he's not on the field, he's, he's looking into how he can improve himself, and he's, he's done that. And I'm sure he'll he carries on to do that as a coach. You know, he's I think he's got his A license. He was actually on the the part one a couple of years ago when I was on the part two. I'm sure he's completed that by now. And obviously he's a, a coach at Manchester United and, and probably got a massive footballing career ahead of him. Yeah. So you're an FA Youth Cup winner at Manchester United. What happens next? First team. You're playing a lot of, a lot of reserve games, weren't you? Yeah, I, I, I did my two-year apprenticeship. Um, I then got offered a one-year pro, me and Michael out of my year, and Terry Cook. Mm. Terry Cook got offered a four-year pro, me and Michael got offered the one-year. Um, Cookie sort of slipped into that class of 92, yeah. where me and Michael was held back a little bit. Um, but we were lucky to get one. Um, not, not lucky, but thankful. Uh, to get one because the year above us there was 15 to 17 of them got pro contracts so the way was was clogged in front of us if you like so when it comes to 15 in my year three got kept 12 got released so with those statistics you know I was fortunate that Paul I got was one. one of them who got released wasn't yeah, it yeah Paul was one went to Coventry and yeah. a Richard Flash another good friend of yours yeah. Yeah. They, were, they were the ones um, goalkeepers thinking back Dave Pierce yeah. sticks in my mind yeah uh, not not familiarised Man United names. Not many of them went on to do anything else out of IE. There was only Dave Johnson got released and went to Bury. Had a good season. He, he, he good career, he'd done well. He? He, he relaunched himself at Bury. There's a monkey. No, it's not. It's a cat. Or is it a monkey? It's a cat. Sorry, <laughs> I saw some monkeys running around yesterday. <laughs> Part and parcel of India. Yeah. Um, um, so you, you signed a one-year pro. One year pro. Uh, so you're playing reserve team now. In that season of my year pro, I managed to get in the reserves um, and and done well to get in the reserves. I played a lot of games that year. Um, Playing alongside up. people like? You know, you, you'd start the year above Chris Caspers, Gary Nevels, Phil Nevels, and then you'd have you know, your David Mays, Pat McGibbons maybe, um, Brian Carey maybe at that time, yeah. and then you know people like Eric Cantona at the time the reserves was used. If people had an injury or a suspension, I think Eric had a few of those, the suspensions. Yeah, so you played with him a few yeah, times? Yeah, I played with him on, on comeback games, obviously Beckham's and Bucks and Skulls. What, what was Eric like? Just um, you know, obviously brilliant, you know, magician. But that kind of demeanour where you're not sure what's coming next. You know, he's uh, very quiet, but can have that switch and that competitive edge where the next one someone's getting crunched by a, an Eric special, if you like. Uh, but not an intimidating figure, but someone you was in awe of. And you know, he walks did, in the did room. Did you speak to him? Spoke to him a couple of times. You know, he had he was really good with the young lads. You know, tried to give advice, and you know, he wasn't big time. He was a a typical Man United player, if you like, you know, they all try and help each other out. But uh, as someone that walks into the room and the room can go silent because she's, you know, the king's in the room sort of thing. A, a great aura and a great way about him. And then second year pro, what happened then? Well, I did the first year, which was a one-year deal, and then at the end of that year I got offered uh, a new contract, a two-year contract. Um, me and Michael again, both the same, got offered a, a two-year deal. I'd broken into the England youth side, which was which was good, a good achievement. I played a lot of reserve games when, you know, there was 10, 11 defenders in front of me, so I was I'd done well to do that. So I, I got pulled into the office by Sir Alex, and he told me how well I'd done and that he was going to reward me, and he offered me a, a two-year contract. Um, looking back at the finances and, and probably how much were you on? I was on 210 quid a week my first year. Yeah. Uh, living at home, probably spending most of it getting into training. Mm. Um, so the second year and the third year what I got offered, he told me he was going to look after me and roll me, so he offered me a two-year deal. Uh, the first year would be 275, so £65 rise, and the third year would be £300, which would have been a, 
an extra £25 rise. So, as that well as probably below the average national wage at the, at the time. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure the exact yeah. year. It might have been '93, '94, yeah. something like that. '95, but you know, it was. It wasn't a, a contract where you're going to sit back and think. I've made it here and I'm going to go and buy myself this pair of Armani jeans or this car and that car but did you have a car? no um, I needed one could you afford one? not on those kind of figures yeah. um, you know you couldn't afford that but that's the way they liked it at Man United it's, it's done for looking back now it's done for a reason at the time when you're a young kid you, you're wanting a piece of, of what's in front of you some, some bad advice some bad decisions from myself not being patient enough decided to turn that down and and go and test the waters elsewhere. Um, you know, I was always strongly driven. I was always thinking I was probably better than what I thought I did was. Did you have an agent? Not at that time. I did in the end. Um, I spoke to um, my England manager actually. Um, it's Alec Gib was it Alec Gibson? One was at Man City. I can't remember exactly. Um, he notified Daryl Grady the availability, and, and crew fancied me. So I spoke to Sir Alex saying. You know, I can't afford to sign on 275. Needed a signing on for a car. Was that not daunting for a young lad to go In, into his room? It took me three weeks to knock on the door. Did it? Um, changed my mind a hundred times. But you'd be walking there and then you'd turn around. Yeah, you just, it's, you're lucky if you even look him in the eye, never mind knock on his door. So finally, you pluck up the courage, you knock on the, on the door. Knock on the door, trying to tell him how to run his club. Uh, five minutes later, aged, 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 five aged, minutes aged. later, I'm thrown back out of the office and made to feel about as big as a, a 10p coin. Um, what did he say? Just asked him if I could get a signing on fee to help me get a car. Basically told me, who do you think you are? I'm Sir Alex Ferguson, which is fine. Um, get in my team, you'll be rewarded. You've no right thinking you're this, you're that. Trust me, I'll look after you, you're improving, carry on the way you're doing and you'll be fine. Me being as I was, thinking, no, I'm better than that, I'm first team football, I'm going to try my luck elsewhere. He says, fine, off you pop some. I'm thinking, that's not supposed to have happened. You're supposed to have said, no, no, we'll give you five grand signing on feet. He's never going to give in to somebody like me, never give in to Paul Ince, never mind somebody like me. Um, so then I'm walking out the door thinking, what are you playing at, you idiot? But then back myself into a little bit of a corner. I remember asking him if I would. If he would demand a fee for me to leave, he said he would. I asked him how much, he said 75,000. My response was, is that not gonna make it hard for me to get away? His response is, absolutely impossible. <laughs> Who's gonna pay that for you? Um, so off I go, walk out the door and go and speak to the crew. Um, spoke to the crew, month later comes back, because it's the start of pre-season. Thinking about knocking on the door again, managed to pick up the courage knock on the door to say crew are interested in me he tells me don't tell me something I don't already know obviously knows everything I'm then saying surely you're going to give me a better offer hoping not saying just fingers crossed he's looking at me to say why are you in my office if you want to go the doors over there so you're on the back foot straight away I'm in the car I'm under the table yeah. almost yeah. still expecting him to say you're brilliant Ash we need you not happening so out the door I go, off to crew, sits with Dario, Dario rings Sir Alex, let's do the transaction, 75,000, he says what you're talking about, it's 500, 500,000, this is a Man United reserve team player. And then the tribunal gets set, um, I, like I say, back myself into a corner, gone to crew, um, 
can't have any regrets. Maybe the right decision, maybe the wrong decision. Who knows what your destiny holds. Sir Alex was fantastic about it. Shook my hand, said all the best, hope you do well. You know, it's business at the end of the day. He had no, he had no qualms, uh, no fallout. And then I went to crew and I went on to play 100 games in my first three years, which, you know, stood me in good stead for the next 20, 21 years of my career. Um, so as much as you look back and, you know, look at people at the time that was underneath me, people like your Wes Browns were younger than me and, and underneath me in the, in the pecking order. You know, they go on to have a good career at Manchester United. Other people like Ronnie Warwick was, was similar to me. He has a little bit of a career, but then it ends. So who knows which way it would have gone. But thankfully, I stayed in football. It taught me a lot, and it stood me in good stead to still be in football now. Uh, good times at Crew, 100 games, like I say. Uh, playoff campaign the first year, we get beaten in the semi-final of the playoffs. Second year, we get promoted through the playoffs at Wembley. We beat Brentford 2-0. So there I am, 21 years of, uh, years of age, playing in a 50, 60,000 capacity Wembley Stadium. So almost your you know, one of your childhood dreams choked off, you're playing at Wembley, your parents are in the crowd. So I managed to get a, a winner's medal out of the old League Two into, into the League One, which is now the Championship. Have a good year at Crew in the Championship. Contract runs out, get offered quite a few more, turn those down. Um, get signed by Bradford on another tribunal, if you like. Um, go and play for Bradford one year in the Championship, and that season we get promoted to the Premier League. Um, so another successful season on my on my campaign, another promotion. So that's two promotions by the age. So suddenly you, you're a Premier League footballer. Exactly. So five years down the line, I'm then in playing in the Premiership for Bradford. Um, so not the the route that I planned out for myself, being at Manchester United by a, at the age of ten. But finally feeling like I'm getting somewhere. Two promotions, age of 22, 23. I'm on decent money at Bradford. I'm, I'm playing in the Premier League with Stuart McCall's, Eugene Windasses. Um, Peter Beagrees, you know, household names nowadays. He stayed up. Stayed up remarkably. Yeah. Um, 36 points. Yeah. Played Liverpool last game of the season. Yeah. Liverpool need to win at Valley Parade to get Champions League qualification. Yeah. So worth millions to Liverpool, 30, 40, maybe 50 million in them days. And obviously to us as Bradford, to stay up, nobody give us the chance. You think back to Rodney Marsh getting his head shaved on the pitch because he'd wrote us off at the start of the season. Yeah. If these stay up, I'll shave my head. And we stay up with a record lowest points, 36. Yeah. And good times. Uh, another trip to Magaluf, yeah. which was normally the the, uh, the sign of an achievement. Yeah. The lads in those days off to Magaluf, we popped again for the second or third time in three years. Yeah. Uh, good times. You know, hero in Bradford, if you like, with, with the rest of the squad. And you, you got on with the fans as well. Yeah, it was good. Um, the lads? The lads were good. I, um, you the know, ointment, Bradford's firm, you used to have a drink with them. Yeah, I used to, uh, made it a, a point of mine to, to drink with people in and around the players' lounge, always happy and welcome to, to listen to their stories of the 80s and the 90s of, of their shenanigans, if you like. So I enjoyed it, but I moved to Bradford and I, I lived there for five years. I um, After the Premier League campaign, Paul Jew left that summer, yeah. surprisingly, to Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah me just getting ready for the next Premier League campaign yeah. we sort of like get lambasted by the then chairman yeah. nine of us I think I can't remember the exact names called the underachievers in the paper the local paper when we've stayed up in the, the Premier League found it a little bit distasteful since we'd achieved something remarkable Bradford then opened the checkbook signed your, your Dan Petrescu's your Benito Carbonis um, Stan Collymore's you know really 
have a, have a big big effort to try and improve the standard yeah. which ends up being their downfall yeah. um, three weeks later into the start of the new season I go out on loan to Sheffield Wednesday to hook up again with Paul Jewell yeah. do a month so start the first game of the season away at Wolves live on TV big game because Sheffield Wednesday just been relegated from the Premiership to the Championship yeah. so first game Sunday kick off live to Wolves 30 seconds later Kevin Pressman gets sent off without a 10 men we, we end up drawing the game and after that month's loan I was fortunate then for Paul Jewell to purchase me from Bradford and how much? 150,000 yeah. which was the same fee as I went from Crew to Bradford yeah. so then I've been signed by Sheffield Wednesday and then I go on to to play over 100 games for Sheffield Wednesday in the Championship yeah. so although not maintaining the Premier League status still playing at a good level um, did you play against Manchester United when you were at Bradford? Yeah, I did, but I was sub. Yeah. Um, one sticks out of my mind. We're, we're keeping it tight. We've got our game plan. It's at Old Trafford. It's nil-nil. Yeah. We think we're going to get a result. 20 minutes to go. Yeah. On comes York and Cole. Yeah. I think maybe even Giggs as well. I'm not sure if it was a trouble substitution. September 2000, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Next thing, blink of an eye, we're 4-0 down. Yeah. We lose the game 4-0. Yeah. I remember playing in a game at Valley Parade, Skull scores a 25-yard yeah. corner on the volley, yeah. picked that one out, so I think we got spanked twice in the same season, 4-0 yeah. by Man United. And did you did see Ferguson on these occasions? Yeah, sh shook his hand, yeah. um, said hello, yeah. um, you know, obviously polite, he's, he's got a, you know, he prides himself on on keeping an eye out for his his, his fellow prodigies, as he calls them. To, this, to this day, you know, you can contact him to this day. Yeah, I, um, I see him at last year's PFA Awards, um, just after we'd been sacked by Blackburn actually. Um, spoke to him in the toilets, uh, met him in there and you know, shook his hand, had a chat. He asked me what we what the hell we were thinking going to Blackburn. Yeah. Well he was um, right then. Told us to in future make sure we ran it by him. We speak to him and ask him for his advice. Um, so I thankfully I actually took him up on that when I came out to to India. Yeah. I had a little dilemma when I first took over. Uh, thought I would ask him for his advice and run it by him. Gave me some invaluable advice and stood me in good stead and looking back set me up for the season here and, and we've gone on to be successful. We're now three games to go and we're, we're top of the league by four points so hopefully uh, in God's hands up you know we can we can get through and just get it over the line and win the league. What was your dilemma that you rang him about? We set up as a new football club in India. Um, we set up very conservatively. We've got a big um, corporate behind us, JSW Steel. Um, but it's the first year direct entry uh, franchise into the I-League, so they didn't want to throw a lot, a lot of money at it. They didn't want to go out and, and buy the I-League if you like. They wanted to set a good club up from the from the foundations. Uh, we've got a three-year exemption from relegation, so it was about putting foundations in place, building a football club, bringing some English methods over. And giving them something to to be a you know a club that's there for the future. So the, the playing budget was was only small, fourth or fifth bottom. The off the field stuff was a lot more than others do. You know, we, it was a case of, of bringing conditioning programs in, uh, fitness coaches, nutrition, chefs, the way we travel to games, where we get looked after in between. So the package was a was a whole committed package that the owners gave us. Um, so we went out and we signed the Indian captain Sunil Chettery, which is your David Beckham of India, if you like. He's the most recognised player. He's, he holds the records for the most amount of um, Indian national goals with 45, 46, I think. 
Um, so a statement for the club to, to sign someone that's commercially in demand in India. So that was the, the player we signed, centre forward. Um, unfortunately for him, we had a, a 10 week pre-season. He did the first three weeks, then he went away for five weeks on a national camp with the Indian side. So he's due to come back five days before the start of the season. So for me, it missed a lot of work. There'd been lads playing in his place. Um, and obviously the owners here are expecting the big David Beckham of India to be leading the team out as the captain, to be leading them out on the first day of the season, the first game of Bangalore's, Bangalore, sorry, first game of their history. Um, you know, they're expecting their captain and big commercial face and figure of the club to, to lead them out of this on the first day of the season. Um, the dilemma was, he's not been here for five weeks. His fitness won't be up to scratch because he's not been training to our methods. Players have played instead of him and, and done really well. You know, how do they feel if he gets dropped? So I rang Sir Alex up to, to ask him what he would do if it, you know, if it was a scenario that he found himself in. And what was he just sat at home on the sofa? No, he was. Uh, I actually texted him first to, to ask if he could give me a little bit of time. Um, he replied to me to say, I'm in New York. Call me in 10 minutes. Obviously, didn't see that at the time. I went out to training. Two hours later, come back, pick up my phone. Think, nightmare. I've had a, I've had a stinker. I've missed the text. I'm going to call him. He's not going to answer. And I've missed my window to speak to him. He's in New York. He's obviously a very busy man. Um, so I call him, and to my surprise, and thankfully he answers straight away. And he, he gives me 25 minutes of his time while he's, he's in a taxi in New York, which um, you know I can't speak highly enough about him for that. You know, I'm, and what did he say? Just gave me some some advice on you know pros and cons. Uh, talking about getting the boy on side, you know he obviously can't know the actual dynamics of the relationship with me and my owners. But you know, told me what he would do if he was in that kind of situation and carried it out. Um, it went well. It's it stood us in great stead. It, it set some some targets. Everyone in the club then was thinking, you know, everyone's got a chance. Everyone's on the same level. And it really uh, set us up for the season where we've created a real good team spirit um, and, and great advice and really thankful for that. We've done a big piece in India with you for the 442 magazine which comes out at the start of May and there's, there's loads of interesting and funny stories about moving from England to India and the, the cultural differences and how you've settled in and a lot of, a lot of great stories about how a team which nobody expected to do well did, did, did exceptionally well so listeners may be interested in, in buying that issue of 442 magazine it's one out at, at the start of May what what does the future hold for you? you st how old are you? 37? 37, 38 in August um, you know, got me me A license through the English FA now um, you know, I've had a, a full year in management because you've been with Michael Appleton at Portsmouth, at Blackpool and at Blackburn yeah. so you and him must be very close yeah I mean we played together since the age of 10 um, you know always kept in touch you know we we found ourselves in our career flying opposite directions up motorways for, for two to three hours in the mornings and in the evenings after training or him to on his way to coaching at West Brom when he was living in Preston so just shared our, our football experiences, our football knowledge and really thankful to him that he gave me an opportunity to join him at Portsmouth when he did. You know, he was under a lot of pressure there, a lot of stress. He was you know, in administration at a, a very big football club in Portsmouth. You know, almost single-handedly he kept that club afloat, kept them out of liquidation uh, with the relationship he had with the, with the ex-players who were on the fortunes. You know, they, 
they all sign big compromise agreements, you know, on... For example? Your Ben Aims, mm. your um, Liam Lawrence's... We had Danny Webber on this podcast, and he was giving us some scary examples of where the players were considering before one... Um, nice one, mate, on your motorbike. <laughs> we're, we're considering in, in a televised FA Cup game against Manchester City, just not beginning the game. No, it was yeah. that bad they weren't getting the wages. Yeah, there were. There was, like I say, there was, um, you know, uh, I think Varney sticks in my mind that was one that, that actually nearly could have potentially sent the club into liquidation. There's seven or eight players had agreed to take the compromise agreements. Was Aaron um, McQuenna one of them? Aaron McQuenna was one. Ben Jarney might have been one of his contract yeah. might have run out. Uh, like I Aaron say. just needed to cut back on buying white soups. In <laughs> South Africa, he's, he's a great lad. We'll get him on the podcast one one day. Um, but yeah, you had to you had to make big putbacks for the for the club to survive. Yeah, yeah. And you played once for Portsmouth. I did. We we, we actually were in administration. Uh, we couldn't sign any players um, before the first game of the season. And in that at that time, um, the the League Cup was actually before the first game of the season. So all we had signed was the development squad. And uh, this old has-been coach, who was 36 years of age, I ended up signing a non-contract. So I thought I'd go and play away at Plymouth and be the experienced centre-half. Um, started the game magnificently well, as you do on adrenaline. Yeah. Kicking back your youth and thinking I can actually get a contract out of this, never mind, fill in. And 32 minutes in, jumps up for a crazy header, lands on my ankle and breaks my ankle and gets stretched off. So that was the end of my uh, playing career. You played again at Crew. That was before then. Yeah. Uh, my last game ever in the league or league cup, if you like, was for Portsmouth. Because you, uh, you played with the other Ashley Westwood. That was before I retired. Mm. So I think I was 34, 35, and I went back to Crew uh, with Dio the last three months of the season. I played the last uh, 10, 11 games for Crew with Ashley Westwood, who's now Aston Villa. Um, it's not it's not an, an, an a usual name it it's it's not ben smith or paul jones so suddenly you've got a lad with exactly the same name as you coming in what did you think when you first met him i actually knew his brother who when my first time at crew played called lee westwood right so he went on to be a golfer yeah <laughs> put his boots down and picked up a set of <laughs> golf clubs thought he'd have a go at that no just uh, just a footballer only a young pro never really made it so i was aware of ashley when i was there he was probably only I don't know, maybe 10, 8 when I was there. And then when I went back, realised who he was and who his brother was. And next thing we know, we're playing in the same team and the crowd is singing, there's only two Ashley Westwoods, which, okay. was, which was a brilliant original song, if so you like. What did you do? Did you both clap? Um, I was milking it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was probably getting his head down, thinking, who's this old geezer stealing my thunder? But a great lad he was. And uh, obviously coming into being a a real good player now and people are talking about him possibly maybe getting in the, the England squad for the World Cup real good player and a, a good lad good good boy so finally for the future for you you're ambitious yeah like to manage I mean I, I know you're happy here I've seen that I know you've, you've got a, a contract here but you're an ambitious lad what yeah would you, would you like to manage in the Premier League in the future yeah I mean you've got to you set your sights as high as you can you know you keep your dreams as big as they can and it's all about positive thinking. If you if you believe you can get there, then one day you'll give yourself a chance. If you don't believe you're going to get there, you'll you'll never get there. So, you know, done all my badges, all my studies. Uh, was was player manager at Kettering when I was 34, 35, when they were in admin. That gave me some 
some real good lessons and an insight when I was on my own, did everything myself. So I had to learn on my feet there. Um, and then like after that... It's really sad what happened to Kettering Town. Yeah, terrible. Um, you know, got a really long established football club. Yeah. Ron Atkinson had, had been manager there, hadn't he? Yeah. And then, and then just close by, Rushton and Diamonds. Yeah. And they both. Yeah, I mean, they just just exist. Just the normal, mismanaged football clubs, if you like. You know, yeah. spending more than they can yeah. bring in. Dreamers know. come in, inflate the bubble, and it, and it I stops. think you know, you get a good FA Cup run in a year, then you sort of like banking on that they're going to have another FA Cup run. They don't come. You you overspend. It's not easy to get sponsorships at that kind of level. They take for granted they're going to get a sponsorship, and before they know it, they're, they're back themselves in a corner, and there's, there's only one way it's going. And you know, quite a few clubs get themselves in the same predicament, and they're always, you know, a football club that's been around for so long with so much tradition. Everybody thinks what you know, somebody's always there to take them over, and they're in trouble, and it it doesn't happen. You know, I seen it at Portsmouth. It was close. It was as close as it could get. That's a a Premier League club that won the FA Cup not so long in ago. In 2008, Manchester United played Portsmouth in Abuja, Nigeria, in a prestige friendly. Yeah. Three or four years later, and Portsmouth are currently um, 90th place. F five points, I think they are, above relegation. So, if you know, there's six games to go. If they don't do well in the next six games, that can be their, I think, third back-to-back -back relegation maybe it's ridiculous how the people were allowed to take control I went to do a job in Israel in 2004 when they'd just been taken over every single person I spoke to in football saying watch this man he's a disaster watch him there's an international arrest warrant out for his father he's, he's a heavy time crook you know and, and still he's allowed to buy a club and and the problems obviously kicked on and, and it's quite sad I didn't see any Portsmouth fans complaining before the 2008 Cup final football fans can dream as well yeah they can they, I mean they get wrapped up in the whole emotion of it we've got a sugar daddy and uh, I remember one one agent telling me that he had a player and he was either going to send him to Portsmouth or Tottenham they both prepared to pay between 60 and 70 grand yeah it's ridiculous yeah. Tottenham's average crowd's 37,000 of North London money Portsmouth is a working class city with 15, 16, 17,000 people. You know, yeah. the economics of it just didn't stack up at all. No, no, not at all. Um, sad times, but, you know, potentially a, a club that can easily come back. Mm. You know, they're still now getting 15,000 yeah. in League Two. Yeah. So the fan base is there. Yeah, um, and they played fourth division before, same year as Sheffield United years ago. Yeah, so, you know, hopefully that they'll they'll get themselves back up because, you know, they, it's, a, it's a great place, that Portsmouth. Yeah. It's the atmosphere the fans produce down there is, is quite unique. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a close, tight-knit ground and the drums are playing and, you know, it's, it's one of those clubs that you want around because it's it's good for football. Mm. Got told a funny story by a, by a football player who was playing for Portsmouth. Uh, he was single at the time. He's married one of the most beautiful women in Britain, Peter Crouch. So he was on the bench at Portsmouth. And he hears, Crouchy, Crouchy! And he ignores this lad behind him. And he, he looks behind finally, because the lad keeps shouting him. There's a big growler. It's Crouchy, you were with my daughter last weekend. And Crouchy, it was true. Dear me, what do I do here? It's, it's absolutely true. He looks around and went, Go on there, my son. You know, the whole bench are laughing because this lad has given his consent for Crouchy to to be with his daughter. I suppose that's an advantage of when Fratton Park stands are, uh, are quite close to to the pitch as as they were. Not that he might have uh, 
felt that way when he first started shouting. So the future for you, um, you're an ambitious lad, you're going to work hard, you're going to see what opportunities come your way. Um, maybe work with Mike Appleton in the future, maybe have Sir Alex Ferguson as your director of football. I don't think you can uh, tempt him out of his, his horse racing and his... I have to go to New York yeah. and tempt him. Thank you for your time. No problem, a pleasure. So that's it for this podcast, our penultimate podcast of the season, and maybe ever we've still to secure funding uh, for the future of this podcast. We've got a couple of ideas and we are speaking to a, a few people, but I thought I'd put you in the picture. There's a new United We Stand Out on Saturday, the home game at Sunderland, so um, make sure you get it outside Old Trafford. It will be available to download as well at the weekend. I'm just finishing that off now, and if I sound tired, it's because... The mag usually needs a late shift to get it done and get it off to the printers, but I'm pleased to say it did go to the printers okay, and it's a, a really decent issue. So until next week for the last podcast of the season, have a good time. Keep enjoying gigs, being manager hopefully, and until next week, goodbye. <laughs>